0: by law eighteen plus terms and conditions thirty yards of our canoe, while the guide assured me in a whisper that he could see perfectly and that it was only a stump. Then, hearing us, the lynx rose, stared, and leaped for the brush. Such hiding would easily deceive even a trout, for I have often taken my position at the edge of a jam and after lying perfectly still for ten minutes, have seen the wary fish rise from under the logs to investigate a straw or twig that I held in my fingers, and with which I touched the water here and there, like an insect at play. So old Noel is probably right when he says that Pinkamp fishes with his whiskers, for the habits of both fish and cats seem to carry out his observations." but deeper than his cunning is pinklump's inborn suspicion and his insane fury at being opposed or cornered the trappers catch him as they catch his big cousin the lucivi by setting a snare in the rabbit paths that he nightly follows opposite the noose and attached to the other end of the cord is a pole which jumps after the cat as he starts forward with the loop about his neck were it a fox now he would back away out of the snare or lie still and cut the cord with his teeth and so escape. But, like all cats when trapped, Pinkomp flies into a blind fury. He screeches at the unoffending stick, claws it, battles with it, and literally chokes himself in his rage. Or, if he be an old cat and his cunning a bit deeper, he will go off cautiously and climb the biggest tree he can find, with the uncomfortable thing that he is tied to dangling and clattering behind him. When near the top, he will leave the stick hanging on one side of a limb while he cunningly climbs down the other, thinking thus to fool his dumb enemy, and leave him behind. One of two things always happens. Either the stick catches in the crotch and Pinkomp hangs himself on his own gibbet, or else it comes over with a sudden jerk and falls to the ground, Pulling pinkomp with it and generally killing him in the fall. It is a cruel, brutal kind of device at best, and fortunately for the cat tribe, has almost vanished from the northern woods, except in the far northwest, where the half breeds still use it for lynx successfully. But as a study of the way in which trappers seize upon some peculiarity of an animal and use it for his destruction, it has no equal. That Pinkomp's cunning is of the cat kind, suspicious without being crafty or intelligent like that of the fox or wolf, is curiously shown by a habit which both lynx and wildcat have in common, namely, that of carrying anything they steal to the top of some lofty evergreen to devour it. When they catch a rabbit or fish, fairly themselves, they generally eat it on the spot. But when they steal the same animal from snare or cache or from some smaller hunter, the cat suspicion returns, together with some dim sense of wrongdoing, which all animals feel more or less, and they make off with the booty and eat it greedily where they think no one will ever find them. Once, when watching four days under a fish hawk's nest to see the animals that came in shyly to eat the scraps that the little fish hawks cast out when their hunger was satisfied, this cat habit was strikingly manifest. Other animals would come in and quietly eat what they found and slip away again. But the cats would seize on a morsel with flashing eyes, as if defying all law and order, and would either growl horribly as they ate, or else would slink away guiltily, and, as I found out by following, would climb the biggest tree at hand and eat the morsel in the highest crotch that gave a foothold and once on the main coast in november i saw a fierce battle in the treetops where a wild cat crouched snarling like twenty fiends while a big eagle whirled and swooped over him trying to take away the game that pinkomp had stolen by far the most curious bit of pinkomp's cunning came under my eyes one summer a few years ago until recently i had supposed it to be a unique discovery but last summer a friend who goes to Newfoundland every year for the salmon fishing, had a similar experience with a Canada lynx, which emphasizes the tendency of all cats to seek the treetops with anything that they have stolen, though curiously enough I have never found any trace of it with game that they have caught honestly themselves. It was in Nova Scotia, where I was trout fishing for a little season, and where I had no idea of meeting Peacomf for the winters are severe there and the wildcat is supposed to leave such places to his more powerful and longer-legged cousins the lynx whose feet are bigger than his and better padded for walking on the snow even in the southern berkshires you may follow peacomp's trail and see where he makes heavy weather of it floundering belly-deep like a domestic tabby through the soft drifts in his hungry search for grouse and rabbits and lying down in despair at last to wait till the snow settles but to my surprise Pinkoff was there, bigger, fiercer, and more cunning than I had ever seen him, though I did not discover this till after a long search. I had fished from dawn till almost six o'clock one morning, and had taken two good trout, which were all that the stream promised to yield for the day. Then I thought of a little pond in the woods over the mountain, which looked trouty when I had discovered it, and which, so far as I knew, had never been fished with a fly led more by the fun of exploring than by the expectation of fish i started to try the new waters the climb through the woods promised to be a hard one so i left everything behind except rod reel and fly book my coat was hung on the nearest bush the landing net lay in the shade across a rock the end of the handle wedged under a root and i dropped my two trout into that and covered them from the sun with ferns and moss Then I started off through the woods for the little pond. When I came back empty-handed a few hours later, trout and landing net were gone. The first thought, naturally, was that someone had stolen them, and I looked for the thief's tracks. But, save my own, there was not a footprint anywhere beside the stream up or down. Then I looked beside the rock more carefully and found bits of moss and fish scales and the pugs of some animal too faint in the gravel to make out what the beast was that made them i followed the faint traces for a hundred yards or more into the woods till they led me to a great spruce tree under which every sign disappeared utterly as if the creature had suddenly flown away net and all and i gave up the trail without any idea of what had made it for two weeks that thief bothered me it was not so much the loss of my two trout and net but rather the loss of my woodcraft on the trail that had no end, which kept me restless. The net was a large one, altogether too large and heavy for trout fishing. At the last moment before starting on my trip, I found that my trout net was rotten and useless, and so had taken the only thing at hand, a specially made forty-inch net which I had used last on a scientific expedition for collecting specimens from the lakes of northern New Brunswick. The handle was long, and the bow, as I had more than once tested, was powerful enough to use, instead of a gaff, for taking a twenty-five pound salmon out of his pool after he had been played to a standstill, and how any creature could drag it off through the woods without leaving a plain trail for my eyes to follow puzzled me, and excited a most lively curiosity to know who he was and why he had not eaten the fish where he found them. Was it Lynx or Stray Wolf, or had the terrible Injun Devil that is still spoken of with awe at the winter firesides returned to his native woods? For a week I puzzled over the question. Then I went back to the spot and tried in vain to follow the faint marks in the moss. After that, whenever I wandered near the spot, I tried the trail again, or circled wider and wider through the woods, "'hoping to find the net or some positive sign of the beast that had stolen it. "'One day in the woods it occurred to me suddenly that, "'while I had followed the trail three or four times, "'I had never thought to examine the tree beneath which it ended. "'At the thought I went to the big spruce and there, sure enough, "'were flecks of bright brown here and there, "'where the rough outer shell had been chipped off. "'And there also, glimmering white was a bit of dried slime where a fish had rested for an instant against the bark the beast whatever he was had climbed the tree with his booty and the discovery was no sooner made than i was shinning up eagerly after him near the scraggy top i found my net its long handle wedged firmly between two branches its bough caught on a projecting stub its bag hanging down over empty space in the net was a big wildcat his round head driven through a hole which he had bitten into the bottom the tough meshes drawn taut as fiddle-strings about his throat all four legs had clawed or pushed their way through the mesh till every kick and struggle served only to bind and choke him more effectually from marks i made out at last the outline of the story King Kampf had found the fish and tried to steal them, but his suspicions were roused by the queer net and the clattering handle. With true Link's cunning, which is always more than half-stupidity, he had carried it off and started to climb the biggest tree he could find. Near the top the handle had wedged among the branches, and while he tried to dislodge it, net and fish had swung clear of the trunk. In the bark below the handle I found where he had clung to the tree-bowl and tried to reach the swinging trout with his paw, and on a branch above the bough were marks which showed where he had looked down longingly at the fish at the bottom of the net, just below his hungry nose. From this branch he had either fallen, or, more likely, in a fit of blind rage, had leapt into the net which closed about him and held him more effectually than bars of iron. When I came under for the first time, following his trail, probably crouched on a limb over my head, watching me steadily, and when I came back the second time, he was dead. That was all that one could be sure about. But here and there, in a torn mesh, or a tuft of fur, or the rip of a claw against a swaying twig, were the marks of a struggle whose savage intensity one could only imagine chapter twelve recording by maggie travers in murfreesboro tennessee